This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Jake Thimbrokes, Jeff Hawkins, Chris Novembrino on your Independence Day weekend, holiday weekend. This might be a lazy river of of wrestling talk because there's not a whole lot to do, but uh, I I have some interesting July 4th traditions, I guess I would call it, Chris. Um, what what are your July 4th traditions? Because I've heard some <laughs> yeah. strange ones Woo! this week. The, the the wild party that is Jeff Hawkins. No, I, I no, I I watch two. I try and watch two different things, especially if July Fourth is a is a weekend. Uh, I watch the Great American Bash, nineteen eighty nine, which is for me the most imminently watchable pay per view that 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 I know. A lot of people like WrestleMania seventeen. For me, Bash eighty nine is one I can watch beginning to end and not get bored. Even though look, it's not all high art per se, but a lot of it's really friggin' great. Um, that's the one that starts with the double battle Royal with basically what would soon be all Japan's roster with like Dr. Death, Gordy, the varsity club is in there. Doom is in there. The skyscrapers are in there. There's a war games match. It's that's the one with the Freebirds and the midnight express and Dr. Death versus, uh, or no, no, it's, it's the midnight express. Uh, the Road Warriors and Dr. Death versus the Freebirds and the Samoan SWAT team. The main event is Flair and Terry Funk, which is awesome. There's a Steamboat Luger match in there. It's in Baltimore, which is a heel town. So it's it's just awesome all the way. They're cheering for Sid to kill Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace, which is just timeless entertainment for me. Uh, and I also try and watch Gettysburg because I, 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 I'm a... I'm a, I'm a historian. I think Gettysburg is overvalued as a battle in the American civil war because there are two other battles that are much more important to, uh, to, to the future of the civil war. And that to me is uh, Antietam and the siege of Vicksburg, but the Gettysburg address is one of the great speeches of it. And I also Gettysburg in historical lore is the most interesting of the battles because it's, above the Mason Dixon line. It has the most colorful cast of characters of any of the, uh, any of the war. And the movie is, is fantastic. I did some extra work on it. As a matter of fact, one of the first acting gigs I did was, was a little, I, I skipped some school <laughs> and I went up and I, and I, and I, I was an extra in Gettysburg, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's my wild fun time. Not a barbecue, not anything. No, I watch Gettysburg and the Great American Bash, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, my July Fourth tradition here in Dallas is avoid Addison like the plague on July Fourth, mm-hmm. because they turn Addison into a thing called Kaboom Town. 
I used to live in Addison and what Kaboom Town in July 4th represented to me was like if the British invaded and I was unable to leave my apartment or do absolutely anything because all of Addison becomes absolutely gridlocked on the surface streets as people are trying to file in to Kaboom Town. So like you literally cannot go anywhere. If you were trying to leave your place for the day on the 4th, you need to do it early, like very early, because otherwise it's like a real project. And at a certain point, it's basically impossible because there are so many cars that the cars don't move anymore, um, which is a very strange experience. Uh, so my tradition now is, is a tradition of not doing things. And in my case, it's not going anywhere near Addison, Texas. I think we were Kaboom Town this year, given Sa San Pedro and the uh, <laughs> 15,000 pounds of illegal fireworks that were seized and then blown up accidentally down there. Uh, I when I to... first moved to Addison, Jeff, and uh, the first year I discovered that there was a thing called Kaboom Town, I was so <laughs> angry. I was so, so like, the, the word Kaboom Town is like one of those like actually makes me like like I, I like start to clench my fist like Arthur uh, in that PBS cartoon like it, it it brings real rage I used to work a lot on the night of July 4th I used to because that was a nice I mean I could get into work uh because everybody had already traveled to go see their fireworks and stuff and I could go in there I could get some work done but from from my office or from my department I could see the fireworks from Dodger Stadium. I could see the fireworks from the Rose Bowl. And then I could see the fireworks of various neighborhoods in L.A. that were catching on fire uh, from illegal fireworks. Like you, You'd see it pop up into a tree, and then you'd see the tree start to light on fire. i go, this is the Los Angeles. I know. This is the Los Angeles of, of the people right here is burning your neighborhood down to celebrate freedom. And... <laughs> just stupid when, when i was working i used to live in the south and there weren't this many accidents with fireworks and we would shoot bottle rockets at each other but i come to la in a highly dense populated city and these morons are shooting off fireworks and lighting houses on fire and it's just ridiculous all right so two more fireworks stories here uh one when i used to work at the captioning company um, I would also do overtime on July 4th, like, cause that's a good holiday one. That's not a holiday you want to be driving around on because that's amateur night on the highways and everything like that. And I used yeah. to work overnight. Also, I, when I was working at the captioning company, we we're in this like office building right off of, uh, like the main highway here in uh, Dallas. And, uh, it was usually me, the engineer people it, who also worked at the captioning company who were all like on like a way other side of the building. Um, and then the security guard and I was chummy with the security guard downstairs and we'd go up to the sixth floor and we'd watch the fireworks and stuff, which is really, it's it really nice to have like a nice top of the building sort of vantage point, uh, wind blowing and you're watching fireworks and everything like that. Uh, and then there's another story. I got, uh, a ticket back when I was in college a fairly sizable ticket. It was like 500 bucks for possession of fireworks within city limits in Denton. Um, and the funny part was they weren't even my fireworks. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I know. Here, hold these, Chris. <laughs> I was helping somebody move. Like, like I don't, wanna, 
I don't want. I, I know. It's, and, and when I'm explaining this to the cop, I'm like, this story is like the worst. It was the truth. This sounds like, like a lie already. It, <laughs> it, it reeks of the lie. Yeah, no, but like, <laughs> and, and the, the worst part is like the context of me helping. I was helping somebody move away from her boyfriend who was like a bad dude. And like, it was like, we were just trying to help her get out of this situation. And she had a lot of stuff still in my car. One of which was a pillowcase filled with fireworks, like <laughs> lots and lots of fireworks. No, I, I mean like, <laughs> and I unloaded some of, but not all of these. Uh, I was being a, an idiot in college. I'm at a gas station. I'm smoking a cigarette. I'm like, well, I don't want to smoke in my car, so I, I like. Because you, you know, don't want to light the fireworks in the car. <laughs> you know, like, all right, some common sense, right? But at, a, but at a gas station, perfectly okay to light one up. No, I'm not like standing by the pumps, bro. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm at like the, you know, the front of the gas station. I'm getting ready to get back in my car. And I go and put the cigarette out on the ground. Um, I get into my car and a cop walks up before I can even get out of the parking space saying I was littering. Um, and they use that as auspices to do a drug search. I don't know why. I don't know why they might have thought that your boy know, especially what? back in college. I Chris know. Chris Novembrino doing Chris drugs? Chris Novembrino. Doing, doing illegal things like the marijuana? The highly no. reputable. No. The, the highly reputable Chris Novembrino of all people. <laughs> no, so I, I didn't have anything like that. But they made me unload my entire car, which had like all this person's stuff in my car too and then they found this big bag of fireworks and they're like looking at me like you know uh what are you trying to do with this some sort of terror attack you know it's it's the mid-aughts uh <laughs> you know and i'm trying to explain to them like, oh these these aren't even my fireworks blah, 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 you know and like nah there's still like possession of fireworks within city limits 500 dollars, and i had to do like probation and all this stuff it stunk <laughs> this is why you don't help people move ever there no no good deed goes unpunished just just don't ever help people move don't do nice things for people but uh okay enough of the jibber jabber hawkins let's get to the graps that's what people come for rest in power to del wilkes age of 59 passing away of a heart attack better known to a lot of you as the patriot from back in the day uh i i was early I was I wouldn't say I'm on the bandwagon of the Patriot because I'm not not a huge huge fan, but uh, of his. But he was in the AWA when I latched onto the AWA for a bit because I was big into. As listeners of this show know, I I love the team of Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond, Bad Company, and I was big into the Destruction Crew, uh, especially Wayne Bloom's act uh wayne bloom and mike enos aka the beverly brothers and paul diamond and pat tanaka aka the second orient express for you wwe fans but uh the patriot was actually a gimmick also when 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 wilkes left awa and went to global that's when he picked up the uh the patriot gimmick and that worked he looked like a million bucks in that mask and with his body which Look, I give a lot of respect to Wilkes because he's one of the guys who's out there going, look, I abuse steroids. I abuse drugs. These were terrible for me. 
and and a lot of people jumped down his throat because it's like he was saying he was doing 100 pills a day and they're going oh no 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 you can't do all that much whatever you know he's one of the guys who went out there and goes look i had a drug problem in wrestling and that to me in, in the in the world of kayfabe where nobody wants to admit they ever had a problem to me is bravery despite what if what you think of his politics in the in the, later in his life uh wwf he went there after his all japan run which by the way if you're going to watch matches from the patriot i would watch those all japan tag matches especially there's one with uh Crawford and furnace who are just fantastic there's one with masawa and K- kawada who <laughs> of course are great uh, if you're going to look for a stateside match, I would go with uh, the Bret Hart match from WWF from In Your House 17, I believe it is. I forgot the uh, the name of, of that one, but uh, he has a great match with, with, with Bret Hart on that one. I believe he main evented. You know, they're doing the whole Canada-America thing there. Uh, the tag team with Marcus Alexander Bagwell once he jumped with WCW, Kind of exciting, but I believe by then he was starting to get injured a lot and didn't really last all that long. But I remember that that tag team was better than it had any right to be, Stars and Stripes, uh, from the 92-94, kind of my fourth year of college type area when WCW was trying a little bit too hard to be WWE. Um, but a guy, you know, once he put on the mask, because he was in AWA and he was the trooper, and he was just, he was doing this lame cop gimmick where he looked like a Chippendale stripper where he'd, he'd come out in the slacks of a police officer, but he wouldn't be wearing a shirt. He'd wear, be wearing the hat and, and the sunglasses. He'd be handing out tickets to the fans and things. And he and uh, DJ Peterson had a serv- serviceable tag team, uh, NWA Central States mainstay DJ Peterson. But the Patriot for me is when it all really came together for him. And, and even though global global didn't do a lot for the wrestling landscape, it did give us the Patriot where he went, he went to all Japan and then WWF and WCW as the Patriot afterwards. And that would be the gimmick he'd be known for, for the rest of his life. But uh, you know, not the greatest wrestler in the world, but, a presence I thought at least when he was able to stay healthy and also for you trivia fans his theme in WWF same as Kurt Angle's uh, <laughs> exactly the same although although when Kurt Angle used it, it was called metal and when Wilkes used it I think it was called something like patriotism march or something like that but uh uh any memories of Del Wilkes on your end Chris I don't know if he might have been before your time a bit so you stole my thunder on the I'm Patriot sorry. Kurt Angle thing. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're killing me here, Hawk. It's killing me. No, when I think about the Patriot, I, I like it's one of the all time great masks in a way. Yes. Like, yeah, like like it's a great mask. Um, And for masked wrestlers, the mask in a way is everything, right? Like, you know, Rey Mysterio is his mask. Uh, Psychosis is his mask. Uh, Hayabusa is his mask. Uh, like... I mean, there are so many we could go. I, I don't want to just like rattle off every single like great mask in, in mask wrestling. But like the Patriot, you look at the mask, you know exactly what the gimmick is. Um, and with Del Wilkes, 
for me, um, he was a little bit before my time, but I do remember him trying to run in the 90s and his run in WWF specifically. And it felt like a bit of a dated gimmick, but like now I think, okay, what if this gimmick, like what if Wilkes had been able to put it together like in 1982? If he had put it together in 1982, I think the Patriot would be like, at like the macho man, Mr. Perfect level of remembered as like one of those classic era wrestlers. I think it's the fact that the Patriot like didn't really become the Patriot until the Cold War was basically ostensibly Yeah, over. until jingoism was, was a dated concept for many, I think. Uh, no, if he had found this, like, like, again, it's just the timing wasn't right. I mean, I'm also struck by how young he was. Um, but like, let's say he had found this gimmick at 78 or 79 and by 82, he had really refined this thing. And by like 84, 85, he's having his heyday with this thing. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I it's a different I question story. that a bit. I question that a bit just because at that time, uh, promoters in America were not big into the masks for a main event, for a main event baby face necessarily, other than maybe Mr. Wrestling 2 in Mid-South kind of, but I mean, you know what? Bill Watts could have done something with that. I think Bill Watts, if, if, if Wilkes had lived in an earlier time and looked like he did, Bill Watts would have pushed him to the moon, even with the mask. I think Vince I would think have Vince had any I think Vince would have as well. The, the, this is sort of my argument. I, with the body that Wilkes has, I think that if the right person had sat and talked to young Vince and been like, hey, this guy's got the body you like, he's got a gimmick that's very over, and we push him as a superhero. Remember, Vince loves superheroes. You can, yes. have, you can have Del Wilkes, the Patriot, going up against Earthquake, bringing, you know, John Tenta, and, and like... He would have been, you know what? he would have been a good Hogan replacement is Absolutely. what Wilkes would have been. No, yeah. Certainly would have been better than warrior, right? Like you can imagine a different timeline where like, instead of warrior, uh, Vince goes, let's push Del Wilkes. Yeah. I, I could, I could have definitely seen that. And he probably would have been less. <laughs> Although Wilkes is a South Carolina boy and he has that Southern accent, which is why he didn't cut a lot of promos. <laughs> Vince Vince takes one listen at that and goes, Nope, not gonna do it. Uh yeah, oh, yeah this but... is the same Vince who was very into like Lex Luger doing the body slam on the battle cruiser mm -hmm. and everything. Like I, I in my head this week I was porting Patriot into that era and going like I don't know. There's like a weird alternate timeline where this guy like is a much, yes. much bigger gimmick than people realize. Yes, there there is. And and I think I think he also battled some injuries in WWF, but if he had been able to stay healthy, uh, you know, especially when they were doing the Canada versus U.S. thing. I mean, he was part of that. Um, it wasn't as well done because, of course, you know, he had the Road Warriors involved with the America part as well. Was he was he part of that five on five or am I mistaking it? The one that was in. Uh, no, because it was. I, I got to look that up real quick. Vamp for me a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing with the Patriot is it, it's a gimmick that doesn't work super well as it, if it was going to be a mid-card gimmick, it would need to be a mid-card championship gimmick. Like okay. like w when it gets just lost in the middle, it doesn't work as well. Okay, no, no, no. It was uh, it was Shamrock, Goldust, the Legion of Doom, and Stone Cold, who were the American team. But at the next In Your House... Of? That that's in your house sixteen. In your house seventeen. That's when Bret Hart and the Patriot 
fight up, fight it out. So, yeah, rest in peace to uh, to Del Wilkes. A uh, little bit of news, mostly comings versus goings. Get to that in a second. But uh, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch got married. Seth making her an honest woman. Finally, uh, yeah, the two got hitched. Good for them. Okay. There's no thoughts on that. Seth, you shaved your mustache to do shake them ropes. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> uh, Zelina Vega made her return to the main roster after uh, after a little bit of time at the PC. Known to have been there. Uh, and as an actual competitor. And as... Now a money in the bank competitor for the next pay-per-view and lost her return, Chris. What the hell are we doing? Redebuting somebody and having them lose immediately. But uh I think my joke here is that oh, congratulations to Zelina for getting a deal she wanted. And now she will have to pay for her loyalty, probably by going through a ladder. At money in the bank. I could see Vince doing this to her. Uh, any thoughts on Zelina Vega and her, her uh, re-debut on SmackDown? I would be very uh, incognito during the ladder match planning sessions and just make sure that I don't get assigned any spots because you're right. This is the classic Vince signs you back and goes, okay, now we're doing a ladder match sort of move. Lana resigned and got put through tables for weeks. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's it's he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget, and yet people forget this. He holds on to grudges like like childhood memories. And Vince he has does. a he has a modus operandi for how he mm-hmm. gets revenge that's very, very predictable. Like when you and I prognosticate that like these things are going to happen. It's not just like, oh, well, we have a deeply cynical vision of who Vince McMahon is. It's that time and again over the duration of this show, but long prior to this show being, you know, in it, like there's a long historical backdrop of Vince having these revenge plays work out on screen with his little toys in his toy box, especially the toy that spited him for a moment. Like, like the main story for Money in the Bank matches for the men, and this isn't cynicism talking, this is history talking, is if you are a mid-carder who got injured and you've come back, your first match back is Money in the Bank and you're going through a ladder to see or how... TLC. This, or TLC. Or TLC, yes. Uh, to see how well you hold up. This isn't me being cynical and just making crap out of out of thin air. Okay, Seamus... I think uh, Dolph Ziggler, Sin Cara, Dolph Ziggler, Daniel Bryan, rest in peace. They had that murder match, ladder match. I think maybe a title. I think it was for when Luke Harper was the intercontinental champion. They had the murder got hurt. And then Harper got hurt in that match. If if you recall too. Yeah. Daniel Bryan, when he came back, I'm going to enter money in the bank or yeah. Or was it, or was it, there were two of them. I think, I think also the intercontinental ladder match at, at a mania or something. You know, uh, it's just, it's, it's what they do, man. Vince is a petty guy. And if you go to work for him, you got to know that. 
And I, I, I don't know. Is there any chance? And please, God, I hope that the the chance of this is zero. That young Tommy End is watching his wife re-debut on WWE television. And has said, good for her. I'm going to do, do my own thing. Because if he comes back and he re-signs, number one, you never, ever, ever go back to an employer who cuts your salary and then re, uh, fire or who fires you and then re, will rehire you at less money because then they own you. Then they just, they, they know you need this job more than we need you. And they're going to abuse the hell out of you. I, I just, I, 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 but I could see him going back, Chris. I could. Yeah. Um, I could too. I, I think he'd be really foolish because AEW could really use Tommy end. And I think if you are Tommy end and you're watching the presentation of Damian priest, why do you want some of that? Because you're either going to get the Damian priest treatment or you're going to be in a tag team with Damian priest. Uh, and you know, best case scenario, they turn into chronic 2.0. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Uh, that would actually Another... be a fun gimmick. The, like Damian Priest and Tommy Head is like the acolyte slash chronic just annihilating people. I would I'd be into that. I'd be into that. It's just there's no hope for tag teams again in WWE. I mean, da- <laughs> we may get in a little bit of this if we go into some raw, but Damian Priest re-debuted on television after being off for a few weeks in a in a battle royal where they don't even give him an entrance. They only gave Riddle an entrance. And, 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 him, and him and Riddle were the only two guys who you credibly believed could possibly maybe, maybe win that battle royal. But it was so obviously Riddle's battle royal to win. It was it like, talk about a foregone conclusion. And like, uh, oh man, I can't wait to see. I, I don't even remember who some of like these like low level guys were. Uh, Angel it, Garza ain't winning that damn thing. <laughs> Ivar isn't oh, they, winning the Battle Royal. The 24-7 title, too, during the process oh, of yeah, this. Yeah. Just to highlight how insignificant this match was. It was it was populated with the 24-7 tier level of guys. R-Truth, Tozawa. Oh, bring, bring this back after, after I'm done with the news, because I want to talk a little about Tozawa in this Battle Royal, because he, he did two things that were so unrepentantly stupid, I died in it. Um... Another debut over on the NXT UK brand, Blair Davenport has revealed herself. It is the former B Priestley. Chris, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a B Priestley fan. Uh, I, I That's not me rooting against her in NXT UK. I hope she has a very long of a career. My thing was I watched her in two high profile AEW matches against Riho and then against Britt Baker and she hurt both people during that time. I think, I think those were the two she hurt. She hurt two people in two high profile matches. And I'm just like, okay, I think AEW had her mostly to keep in the good graces of one will Osprey. Cause they were dating at the time. Uh, my favorite joke going around though, was that NXT UK is creating these names by using the last name of a former prime minister and a piece of furniture. So I'm here to tell you that Chamberlain Loveseat, when she debuts, is going to be a huge star. Uh, so 
after watching the promos, I was just thinking, do we really need another heel in NXT UK when we have like Ginny and you, you, it feels like they've got more than enough heels on NXT UK and what they've really been sort of struggling to find are strong baby faces. Um, uh, Brookside is not bad, but also hasn't connected the way you'd want her to. She's not Bailey 2.0. She's not British yeah, Bailey. Yeah, she's not, unfortunately. But you um, have her, you have Mako. Mako, you have, and Mako's uh, fantastic, but she's sort of like... Mako is a legend, right? You know what I, like, I mean? She's so... It, it's, she's not the baby face of the future, Mako Satamora. <laughs> she's Mako Satamora, the legendary prestigious when they knock her she's the perfect person for the next heel champion to knock off because when they do it they'll do it in a disrespectful way which would be disrespecting this great legendary champion and during along the way here Mako's going to be able to shine up all these other heels and make them look good uh but I, I don't know that like they they need to figure out who's the next heel we're transitioning from from Mako and what they really need after that is the next baby face. So, like, they need to be two steps ahead here, and I don't see B. Priestley really addressing any of that. Also, oh, and you have Stevie Turner, who's doing the uh, the new breed gimmick from the future. And she's also uh, a heel. Is she? I thought she was a baby face. No, 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 no. She was absolutely tormenting that, uh, what's her name last? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Pinko Satomura is dating Minoru Suzuki. And that couple scares the crap out of me just thinking about it. In fact, I don't want to think about them because I'm afraid one may come to my house and kick my butt. I mean, that's, I'm that's just saying, if Suzuki shows up and faces off against Walter, I'll be fine with that. If they ever had a child, that baby would slap the doctor and laugh. I just, it's, they, that is, that is a couple. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more, I think, about... Uh, about NXT UK because it was the Sophie's choice for Chris Novembrino because the two people he loves most on that show were fighting and he was he was torn torn I say even though he's not showing it on the TV and I don't think he knows who I'm talking about but I'm gonna go with it anyways also just to wrap up the <laughs> wrap up the muse <laughs> wrap up the news Vince McMahon Nick Khan couple other officers take a Take a trip to the performance center one week after gutting it. Uh, no word on what they were looking for or looking at there, or if it was just a courtesy visit. There were there was a little bit of rumors that talent was very, very nervous. <laughs> they well have a right to be, but uh, Chris, I, I believe, again, it's time for a recurring bit here that longtime Shake Them Ropes users have long, long enjoyed. And I have prepared one, albeit a short one. Shake Them Ropes Theater presents Vince McMahon goes to the PC. Interior day, Orlando, Florida, full sale, WWE Performance Center. Vince McMahon and other WWE luminaries enter Performance Center watching young trainees going through the motions. <clears throat> hey, where the white women at? See. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> little homage to Blazing Saddles there. Yeah, I, I just, I don't trust Vince's talent evaluation. He was looking for anybody over 6'5 or blonde. That's I mean, I'm more worried that Nick Khan is trying to find, like, learn names so that he can fire those names. If I was talent, <laughs> I would make it a point to, like, not be seen because Nick <laughs> Khan is just going to fire whatever names he learns. Nick Khan has printed out the spreadsheet and is looking down column A. All right. Which one of you is Kona Reeves? <laughs> Which one of you is Aaliyah? <laughs> you know, I, I've got, I've got Kamea. for you too. Uh, this okay. is weeks ago. Nick Khan walks into the room. In comes one Mr. Tino Sabatelli. Hi, my name is Tino, Tino Sabatelli. And he shakes hands with Nick Khan. Nick Khan looks at him and goes, Tino, Tino, you said your name was Tino Sabatelli. Sabatelli, great, thanks. Thanks Thanks for letting me know that. Thank you. Oh, no, 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 no. Tino drives up, because if you remember Proving Ground, he he, he was wearing the, uh, the custom-made suits and driving a Maserati from the money from his NFL career. He drives into the PC parking lot with that Maserati. Nick Khan looks up at, from his spreadsheet and goes, that guy's way, making way too much money if he's driving that kind of car. He's out of here. He's gone. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, no, I. But I, no, on a serious note, I would not want to be a known quantity to Nick Khan because I mean, like going back to what we were saying about Vince McMahon at this point, when you meet Nick Khan, it, it is like, you know, touching the Grim Reaper. Bad things follow. It's like Vince is here. Oh, and we've brought our management consultant, Nick Khan here. He's just evaluating. Nobody's job is on the line. Nobody's going to get fired. No, no, no. We just want to, we just want, we want to eliminate workplace deficiencies here. And Nick I mean, is here to do crazy. that. You'd be crazy not to think that Khan's gears are turning in his head for the next round of cuts. They've done three rounds of cuts in three months. Three rounds of cuts in three months. You'd be, at this point, you'd be nuts to think another round was not coming. To actually, to end the news, this thing, uh, the Wrestling Observer reprinted this. WWE is looking for new writers to make complex storylines and deep characters. And y'all got my number. Uh, I had friends you, slack me, me as well. I, I had people uh, shoot me messages here this week. Oh, I heard about this. You should go and set up and be a writer at WWE. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah and, uh, I review it every week. It's uh, that's plenty. I'm I'm willing to try. This time, I think, you know, let me know what you're looking for. I'll do it. What the hell? Let's, I'm open to have a conversation. Long. Sure. Like, yeah. But like, I, I can't imagine they go, we're going to give you the U.S. title in six months to do whatever you want with that program. Here are my six volumes of Bailey stories that I have written more. And, and ways I can get Asuka on TV more. That's, that's probably what would be the crux of my portfolio. Ah, so that's our news. Let, let's get the sponsor uh, read out of the way. 
and we really love them, actually. They're back for more. Support for Shake Them Ropes is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. It should be 3 million or 4 million at least as a floor, because we have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code ROPES at manscaped.com. Now, the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, you get the Lawnmower 3.0, which comes with everything you need to get trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down in your nether regions, which can be a dangerous, dangerous proposition, especially after a night of drinking. But Manscaped has created the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. And you too can feel confident shaving your fellas down there. And also in this is the Crep Preserver, an anti chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorants on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? part that creates its own duck butter yes your balls your balls stink speaking of sweaty and stinky balls family show that this is i am thankful for their crop reviver this product along with the crop preserver keeps your balls from sweating smelling and sticking and manscaped threw in two free gifts two into their perfect package went to the higher register for the two there even a pair of high performance manscaped boxer briefs i'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day because it airs out the fellas and a travel shed bag to store all of your grooming goodies trim that junk yours get 20 percent off free shipping with the code ropes at manscaped.com and your balls will thank you get 20 percent off free shipping with the code ropes at manscaped.com once again that is 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com use the code ropes r-o-p-e-s at checkout unlock your confidence and as always use the right tools for the job with manscaped and we thank them for their sponsorship of shake them ropes so <laughs> no we have two aew shows i thought the aew show on wednesday was quite good quite exciting uh i want to delve a little bit into raw here two things one that i just pointed out before we did the read and one after tozawa in this battle royal won my heart and the kid should be doing so much more on this show but the bell rings for this battle royal and he immediately drops to the ground as if he's been shot and it's the dumbest looking thing in the world unless you consider it strategy and then on the first irish whip he takes or he actually runs into itself he runs into the ropes and starts grabbing them as if someone is supposed to be eliminating him at that time. But there's absolutely nobody around him. It is the dumbest looking thing I've seen. But for the stuff he was doing, I mean, the high flying, the other stuff, they're wasting this kid on 24 Oh, he's crap. absolutely right. He's absolutely wasted. Like, I mean, he's actually a good promo. Uh, he's actually a good character guy he's good at coming up with characters that work in a wrestling context and he's a great wrestler like like he can deliver the matches you want he's good stiff crisp worker and yeah he clearly has this comedy bone in him and uh yeah i, I would love to see him 
really anywhere else getting to do something that's, you know, given a little bit more clearance, not necessarily seriousness, but like taking, you know, just given a little bit more leeway to do what he wants to do and present it with a little bit more, I guess I'll say seriousness, but with a little bit more um, deliberateness. I'm going to make a statement that is probably stronger than I should. I have watched wrestling for a long, long time, Chris Novembrino. You know this is an important point because I used your full name. <laughs> Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley is possibly the worst feud I've ever seen. Ever. Ever. It is... We haven't even done any characterization of Rhea Ripley at all since bringing her on this main roster. We have done nothing to tell us who she is. We've done nothing to draw from the history of Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair from that NXT title match from two WrestleManias ago. She's a jerk. She's not very likable. She's saying she's learning from Charlotte when there's no reason to learn from Charlotte other than to learn how to be a jerk. She's aligned with baby faces. Charlotte is just dreadful on promos these days, and that's not her fault. It's what they give her. She's teamed with Natty and Tamina in this six-woman match. Natty and Tamina and... And uh, and Dana and Mandy. Yeah, are well, having... well, I, I mean, you you said like are Dana and Mandy faces or heels or are Natty and Tamina? We don't faces? know that. We don't know. We don't, know, we that don't know. We don't know. We just know that from week to week, either Natty and Tamina are lovable underdog veterans or jerks, depending on if they're doing a photo shoot right next to a ring, which is a terrible place to do a photo shoot because there's gonna be noise, you morons. It's just, it's like, dude. No, let, let me throw my two cents in here real go, quickly on go, the Rhea Charlotte go. thing. No, I'm with you. It's, it's, I don't, it might, yeah, it's one of the worst feuds I can think of. And like, it has a recency bias, but like, I think this will be one that I'll call back to in the future. So it's, it's gotta be one of the all time bad ones. Uh, and, and the reason I think it's so bad as I think about it. Like everything you're saying about Rhea Ripley, yes, yes, yes. Charlotte Flair kind of at like her peak level of uninteresting. Like there's just nothing to this character. Um, and the actual matches they're having are boring matches. That's uh, not the best Charlotte we've ever seen. We know Rhea can be better. Um, and then the most likely outcome or the most narratively satisfying outcome of this feud would be for Rhea Ripley to join forces with Charlotte as a heel at the end of all of this, which would then beg the question, why have a feud in the first place? And if that's how you like want to end this with both of them being heels, it's got to be one of the all-time bad pieces of storytelling. It would certainly be an all-time bad piece of business in the old days where the crowd boosts nobody, where the crowd cheers nobody at the end of the feud and they're both just heels. Like that's not a, that's not a money <laughs> angle. Oh, dude, if they end up being a tag team and winning the tag titles from Natty and Tamina, and they, they're who doing may or may not be Towers, who may or may not be babyfaces and are doing a Twin Towers gimmick, it, 
don't get me wrong, in another alternate universe on Earth 2 or 3, I am here for a Charlotte Rhea Ripley tag team. That, to me, is kind of exciting. Not in the way Bailey and Sasha exciting, but in a different way. As a dominant physical force, sure, I'm here for that. With the storytelling, no thank you. No thank you, because it'll probably, you know what's going to happen then. Oh, can they get along with each right. other? Right, <laughs> and you would absolutely not be into the split. Here's the thing with that, like, and this is why I would consider it, again, a, a horrible piece of narrative storytelling here. Um, you would not be in for the split because the whole initial thing was Charlotte's a bad person and made Rhea a bad person. So why would I want to see the split if the split was going to eventually should be Rhea turns on Charlotte. Uh, Rhea goes like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you, you, the way you'd get into this does not allow for a coherent or satisfying or like desired getting out of this. Uh, yeah, no, I I'm with you. I, I really hate this. I, I, and In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, you know, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. 
you know, we've beaten into the ground the art business like thing. And when they're not in alignment, you get stuff like this. And this this is very symptomatic of storytelling that does not have business needs uh, that it's trying to meet. So it's not actually being sort of run through a prism of like, does this make sense? Would people be into this? Would people pay money to see this? I would never pay money to see Charlotte and Rhea Ripley feud right now. The women's division in SmackDown is Melville Faulkner, uh, you know, <laughs> Dickens compared to the women's division in Raw right now because the women's division is Raw is at all time bad storytelling. We have Nikki Cross. Is she now going to be Nikki Ash? Because I think they're going to change her name. I think they're actually going to change her name to Nikki Ash. Ash being almost a superhero type of thing. She's involved in this Charlotte Rhea feud, although now who knows because <laughs> she beats both and she doesn't get a title match out of any of this because everybody's kind of said her, her her wins were stupid, which they were. You have uh, the Reggie Bechtel duo of, of Shayna and Nia. You have... <laughs> And and they're juxtaposed against a doll and Alexa Bliss. A doll and Alexa Bliss. Yeah, I, I'm just this. Anytime a women's story on Raw comes up, hey, at least they got rid of the butterfly belt, Jeff. At least they finally got rid of the butterfly <laughs> belt. Like, yeah, you know, so we can take the women seriously. So we can take the women seriously now. We've gotten rid of that, and uh, and we've turned and we've turned one of them into a butterfly, and then Nikki. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it, that's really the problem, right? Like, like this is the butterfly era without the butterfly belts. Uh, and, and I am half expecting Nikki Ash to win the title here as sort of a lark on all of us. That they're as a transitional champion, as like a little like goof storyline, but to show that you can really do it, uh, because Vince like loves all the accented promos. I, hold on, I, I admired the Scottish take on the you can really do it there. That was that was nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, she's gonna she's gonna. I think she might win this to then lose to Bailey, who goes over to Raw because uh, we've been told that Vince really really likes the character, and I think she loses the I Quit match, and then. It, it becomes a way to transition her to the other show. Um, oh, and how can I forget? How can I possibly forget this burgeoning storyline with Eva Maria Dewdrop? Two weeks in. They're feuding. Two weeks, Chris. Two. Upper hey, but but Dewdrop still won't just be like, my name is Piper Niven. I, I, like, like, the, the, you know, like that. The, it, it's like the contours of where this person I'm supposed to cheer for are very, very ridiculous. Like, I don't, I don't get to actually know her real name. She still has to go by her dope name. Um, like, yeah, but, but I'm supposed to be into her, and she is feuding, and and she's not going to take Eva Marie's crap, but she will go by the dope name. Lastly, the thing on Raw I want to go over. I do not think we are ever going to get Riddle turning on that switch to badass. I think I know how his stay in Money in the Bank goes, but I want your thoughts on, on what happened with him on Monday. 
Um, I don't think Riddle turns. I think that they they don't they don't pull the trigger on the Randy Riddle storyline at Money in the Bank. I think I think they when, I think when they, you say that when you say that what do you mean? Um, I don't think they have like the big blow up between Randy and Riddle. I think they tease it. I don't think it happens. Um, yeah, that's my th- that's my thought on the Money in the Bank thing. Oh, I get this. I think they're gonna rush through it. I think, I think Riddle it's the and only Randy. Good thing they have right now too. Why, I, I mean, yeah. Like, but wh- yeah, it, it, that's the most frustrating part is the only watchable thing on Raw right now is the Riddle and Randy storyline. Um, it's a perfectly passable angle. It's not like, this is not Shakespeare. It's not the greatest wrestling you've ever seen in your life, but the New Day's part in it has been good. Randy and Riddle have had fun, sometimes hammy, but like generally speaking, fun interactions with one another. Um, you... Randy, for his part, is actually doing a pretty good job. I, I think Orton's actually very good in his part. Yes, thing. yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, Ra- like Randy I- is Randy is kind of in Batista give no f move. I mean, he really is. If you look at, it. he's just putting dumb stuff and he sells it so hard. Yeah, and he sells uh, it hard. And, and like, I mean, I think he wants Riddle to succeed as like a human, not not like as an on screen character. So like, he's not nerfing him, and he's not sandbagging through this angle or anything like that. Um, and Riddle for his part, like, I liked whatever kept Orton off a of Raw this week. I actually liked the beat of Riddle going to great lengths to get Randy into this match. Uh, I think it's actually it's. Yes, it's sort of predictable characterization, but predictable is not always bad. Um, I think that that, in this case, the predictable is fundamentally sound. Riddle's going to imitate him in the in the Money in the Bank match and get RKO'd. It's happening now. There's going to be a tag title match either Monday or the week after Money in the Bank where can they coexist starts to rear its ugly head and they don't win the tag titles. But but I I think Riddle takes it a step too far in Money in the Bank starts doing the mannerisms of Randy and then gets RKO'd and that blows it for him that that to me is the most obvious obvious thing in the world I think and I find that unfortunate because I'd much rather I'd much rather Riddle learn to be serious because you can always go back to the comedy than just stay with the comedy and then try and find another direction to go with him I mean the whole point of angles in my head is to be left with sort of like a characterization souvenir out of some of these angles. And so for like riddle, it'd be really good to have this like souvenir of this new edge that he found through the course of the Randy Orton feud. Uh, anything else on raw that you want to bring up? Um, n- Oh, I, I know. Oh, I, I, okay. I, I had something just, this is related to riddle though. If you are in a three-way match and you have to be taken away by doctors, you don't get to come back. That's driving me insane these days because it's such a trope by now that, oh, he's been taken out on a stretcher. Here he comes back. After I blame no. Paul Pierce in the 2008 Boston Celtics uh, with the wheelchair spot. Once once Paul Pierce did that, it was over. I think, isn't this the Clyde Frazier Knicks move or who was it? Who, who yeah, was no, no, the there, there are, there are other ones too, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you though. Like it, it actual 
fight context when the doctors pull you away from the fight there yes yeah you should not be going once the doctors pull you away you are done for the evening that's all i'm gonna say uh now 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 for anything raw related you want to bring up um, I think that's it. Uh, I, okay. I don't, I, I don't know that I have anything else. I'm just taking a look here at the card now. Um, I mean, look, the main Smack- event was the main event was fine. It's just like, yeah, you're just I'm like Drew McIntyre is a guy who I'm just is very stale for me right now. Uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what they do to freshen up Drew McIntyre. I'm so done with the Braveheart crap. I am so done with the William Wallace BS. Like, like it's not 1995. It's not even a relevant cultural reference for the most part uh smackdown i i still really like smackdown a lot as a watch but we are treading water here we big e and apollo have like fought each other 14 times (laughs) in like four months can we stop this can we stop kevin owens and Sami Zayn? which was a fun match but I thought KO was taking time off. He, I guess he got a week off. Good for him. Uh, I, and I like Bianca and Bailey, but we went from hell in a cell to I quit. This is treading water for crowds, in my opinion. And it's just, and of course, no movement whatsoever in, in the Usos Roman story. Edge is doing what he can. I thought Edge was very entertaining on this show last night, but other than that this is kind of hey we did all this stuff on pay-per-view we're gonna do it all again on on, in two weeks on money in the bank and i'm just i really just don't get jimmy's like role yes yeah yeah like jimmy to me he flipped way too quick way too quick on the family thing it it didn't it didn't feel earned and uh, i mean especially as he's getting tormented by edge and stuff like he shouldn't be willing to take these bullets because like he was upset to see jimmy do this or like or jay go through this like um edge for his part um god i hate even saying this like i i like but it's just it was my reaction so i'll speak my truth here um i thought he looked old um i i like the bags under his eyes and stuff like i mean he just he he looks the gray in the the beard is not is not doing him any favors even though we 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 forgive it in i think one of the one of the viking raiders has it and of course champa i i mean it's you know, not even jay the briscoe i i think yeah. the, the tension for me is you have this guy who clearly looks older but he is still trying to play the gimmick from his 20s and around yes. the age of 30 and and if edge had a different look and wasn't trying to like sort of like cosplay 20 years ago I think it would be fine. Um, I mean, you know, the bags under the eyes, you know, the look wrestlers get plastic surgery and cosmetic stuff done all the time. You know, uh, that that's an option too. But, but I think the bigger issue here is he needs to stop trying to be the edge of 2006, as he was saying, like, like, he's like, I'm not the edge of 2006 anymore, except that you still like, look like a guy who's trying to be that idealized version of himself, which was the edge of 2006. Um, right. If you're not the edge of 2006 anymore, that gives you permission to change the way you look now. But this is WWE in a nutshell. You are in a time capsule. Once you have a gimmick that works, you will always be that gimmick. John Cena looks terrible now wearing the jorts and the and the Technicolor shirts because he looks like he looks like a guy at a Comic Con 
who has to wear the old costume from which he was remembered by. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it's like a guy like who here. used to work on a child show. Like, you yes. remember me when I was on Barney and Friends and I was Conductor Rick? And like, you know, now like the guy's still in the Conductor Rick outfit and it's 25 years later and it's kind of weird. I was... Conductor- I was Slappy, the fat kid who always had was eating a popsicle or something with a messy thing and wearing a half shirt because my belly would hang out. Now he's doing that at like 56. Yeah, it was kind of delightful of... at age 11 and now at age yeah. 5. Now it's, it's just like, like oh my God, what, what am I watching? That's just creepy. What are you? Don't you have any self-respect? What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> you just... No, I, I, I mean, like that, that it, look, with some people, it works fine. Um, other people like Christian. Uh, and I'm not you know, saying that about, hold on. I'm not saying that about Edge. I'm saying that about Slappy, the fat kid from the kids show who's doing, no, doing no, but, conventions. But, but like you, you just, I, I mean, I think some people can kind of keep the callback retro look and it's fine. Other people, I think, have to make like various adjustments throughout their career. Kazarian's a great example. If Kazarian was yes. still trying to be the Kazarian of 15, 16 years ago, it, it wouldn't work. Kazarian works now in his 40s, and I actually I think I like him as much now as I ever have um, because he has aged gracefully into this like latter phase of his career. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with character development and using the age as part of the character development, except if you are an employee of World Wrestling Entertainment because Vince doesn't like old people. That, that, and that's and his like, thing. I think the gold standard on this is Tim Storm. Right, like, 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 Tim yes. Storm, the character works because he is old. Like when people were like, I, you know, he's old. I'm like, it's kind of the point. Like you're, you're really missing the point here with this character. Well, I'll give you another one because I've, I've brought it up today. Is 1989 Great American Bash? The whole reason for that Funk Flair feud is because Funk was a judge during a Flair Steamboat match. He came in and he asked for a title shot. He goes, look, Terry, you haven't wrestled in a long time. A little past your prime. And, hey, we have a ranking system here and you're not ranked. I can't give it to you. And then the old guy just decides to get ornery and mess up Ric Flair. I mean, you can do those types of storylines with legends and people will love them as opposed to he's still the ultimate opportunist. And could you imagine not- Dick Bockwinkle had like tried to pass himself off as like in his twenties instead of doing the gimmick that he did that like is like iconic? Yeah, <laughs> I'm still yeah. very young. I'm still a very young man. No, you have to think of a four syllable word for young though for Nick Bockwinkle to use because he'd be reading the dictionary before before the before doing a promo and, and find a word that that would help him there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just youthful just exuberance. But Chris, we did have one piece of character development on this SmackDown. A character <laughs> that we all know and love. And I did not bring this up during the news segment because I wanted to bring it up now. The WWE has trademarked Happy Corbin <laughs> for use in sports entertainment. That's right, emo and poor Baron Corbin. <laughs> he has lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, Chris. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is and a he was just that I haven't heard of since the big show lost his house. <laughs> shopping centers, Chris. He invested in shopping centers, and the economy took a down. Oh, commercial real estate is such a boondoggle, especially if you don't know your way around the markets. 
Now, don't get me wrong. There's a part of me that watching this that was ultimately fascinated by Baron Corbin's performance here, because especially, especially with Bailey cosplayer Rick Boogs hampering him with with the bad King jokes, and he just looks and goes, "You know what? Screw you." And I just go, that is such a perfect understated reaction, which is so unlike this company. And no, it's weird. It was like a double turn in a promo for me where it was like, yeah, like Boogs is there, like just like shoving in his face, shoving in his face. And Corbin, by having the understated reaction, but a totally earned, yeah, you know what? (laughs) Shove it. Uh, like, 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 I'm not like, he didn't slap him. He just was like, you suck. Like you, you actually suck. Uh, I was like, huh? Do I like Baron Corbin now and hate Rick Baron Boogs? Corbin is being bullied and he just stands up for himself, but he walks away from the fight instead of causing more trouble. He is the baby face in this feud, Chris. He is the baby face because he did not want to cause a scene. He did not want to throw punches when just because someone said words to him, but he stood up for himself in the face, in the face of heckling by a, overbearing <laughs> Rick Boots. Uh, and yeah, I, I, this is the thing. These guys with guitars, they can be such obnoxious. Don't I know it? I do a, I do a podcast with a guy who, who no, has a preach, lot of guitars. Brother, preach. And you know what? He's just compensating for something in, in his manhood, and I don't get it. But <laughs> I, I see that all the time. Uh, it is very, very common. That said... The heightened ridiculousness of Pat McAfee when Shinsuke Nakamura comes when, out. when he said that son of a bitch on commentary too, that cracked me. <laughs> like, like, like that was I love yes. Pat McAfee on commentary so much. It's so McAfee, funny. McAfee McAfee saying who has a who has a license plate of crab was it King Crabbin? Oh, it's King Corbin. <laughs> And when he's spatially sitting on Michael Cole's head during the entrance, look, guys, WWE commentary, you have to take what you can get out of it. And boy, did Corey Graves have a have a rather cryptic tweet this week where he goes, I'm not doing what I love. And that's a shame or something. And you kind of go, oh, what is what does that mean? We need to cherish this time of Pat McAfee being a bull in a China shop. And just giving no Fs about whatever is going on in his headset. And just doing what he feels out there. He is He's doing the Joe Lanza pacing during matches. He's standing up. He's not even in his chair half the time. He gives excitement at times to moments where it would be contrived, I think, by most commentary crews. I... I mean, I actually think McAfee in a weird way is shining an actual light and a deficiency in commentary that we see both in AEW and in WWE, which is that commentators have forgotten, like, what would it be like if you were actually shocked by some of the things that were happening? You know, like, like for, for the commentary stuff, it's like just, you know, so rote. And they know that, like, all this, in a weird way, they sort of know it's all, like, contrived. For McAfee, a lot of times his performance is like, Wow, I can't believe that guy just got hit with a strap. You know, like, like <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's so simplistic too. It's like that's gotta hurt. That's kind of painful. Uh, 
I will, I will and push that back a little bit. To, the pain. That actually helps yes. with the stuff. Like, it's actually an adding thing. Um, yeah, that makes sense. No, he he his shock that 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 Owens was trying to superplex him through two tables. Just that little moment right there, where it's like he was trying to superplex him through two tables. It's like not just one table because one table would hurt enough, but two would be extra powerful. Yeah, I I'm a fan. I am. I, I admit. I mean, look, is he? Does he have some of the annoyances of getting himself over on commentary? Yes, I will fully do that. Uh, I will push back a bit on you because there is a commentator in AEW who gets over the excitement of things to me. And I think that's Tony Schiavone. I think Schiavone still still brings the emotion. Well, that's like times. one of six guys, though. Yes, that's one of 12 people. Oh, and speaking of which, we I cannot not go the one AEW point I had because it was a mostly enjoyable show I thought I liked it uh the Bucks and Omega are being a little bit ridiculous with this facial hair thing but JR signing off has WWE Dynamite allow me a little mini rant here Chris you can forgive it for age you can forgive it for having done so many years of working in the WWE. You can do that, but he has been employed by AEW for over two years now. Or almost two years. I, I My timeline might be a little bit mixed up on that. My animus towards Jim Ross, and I've said this many times, I don't mind Jim Ross. Jim Ross is part of one of my favorite commentary teams when he teamed with Shivani in NWA, Crockett slash WCW during the time when they were buying up Mid-South and starting to do that. His, those two's call on Clash 1 is spectacular to me. Jim Ross also played politics backstage. Jim Ross was willing to get in there and sling dirt at people, especially Michael Cole, when Michael Cole was given Raw and JR was surprisingly sh shipped off to SmackDown when he didn't want to be. He wanted to be the voice of the WWE still. He wanted to hang on to that. And he's out there crying that, oh, I can still, I'm still a good play-by-play -play voice. Hire me, hire me, hire me. So New Japan takes a flyer on him, and he stinks for a while there too, as you might recall. He got better, but he didn't get great. He didn't get back. He didn't get his fastball back. But he was, you know, he's out there claiming he's the most prestigious free agent in commentary, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't, there are other guys. Time marches on. It's time to get new blood. And I'm not saying he's bad in the Gordon Soley showing up with half a bottle of vodka in him and just going through the motions. But Soley at least had the excuse of being drunk when he sucked. JR is still, JR has. disinterested. Like, like JR is just like not applying himself. He's cashing the check to me a, a lot of times. Not always. Don't get me wrong. But he has actively buried talent on the air because he's still coming from, from a talent relations position. It is time to move on from JR and say, JR, thank you for your service. If you'd like to be a consultant, great. If he wants to be a producer on commentary, great. To have him as the voice of your promotion when Excalibur should really be the voice of this promotion as a newer, younger, fresher guy who knows the who knows the guys and knows the moves. 
and that, this has been a my 20 year talk. arc right like like if you're thinking about this from the launch day of of aew all in you want to have a voice that 20 years from that start date you can look through all this archival footage and, and it is that lead voice and to me it was always a mistake to go to jr and have him be the voice of aew because he's not gonna be there as the voice of aew even 10 years from now so you're gonna have like this turnover in this churn and one thing that wwe has going for it is that cole has been this post of consistency for 20 years through you know like the actual wwe era michael cole has been a steady voice on commentary on shows all throughout um excalibur ready to do it shivani i think yeah like he's a much uh, he would be the much stronger hand in my opinion i i never thought they needed that um, but then I also want to pivot to one other thing, though. Jericho as a baby face, as much as I thought he was kind of annoying as a heel, I find him to be like kind of useless as a baby face. Um, <laughs> like, 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 I really don't need Chris Jericho on commentary. I never need Chris Jericho on commentary. I never, because he's always amping it up to 11 to bring energy or something. Somebody told him, bring energy to the product or whatever. Because, like, you remember the Luke Harper tribute show? That's what he was there for. Is everybody was down, so we got to bring the energy. Let's get Jericho out there to do it. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that, but uh, the, every, everything about that show was wonderful. I don't want to break it down because you can't. And we already have a show on the network that does that. It's called uh, Everything Elite. You should listen to it on Thursdays when it comes out, um, or Wednesday nights. But, but like uh, a, a nice there, little rebuild of jungle boy um like obviously jungle boy had a nice match with omega um the jack the evans Co the conan the conan tully thing was pretty good yeah the, the jack evans uh jungle boy match was really enjoyable and this is what jack evans should be doing in my opinion i, I agree with that um and everything else was and then, solid like, Miro, looking... everything yeah everything else is oh. solidly booked pillman Miro. Was... let's talk a little miro real quick because that's something when everybody's talking the elite and everything else Miro right now is my MVP in this promotion. He is killing it on these promos as God's chosen warrior, whatever. And they decide to bring in Lana or the former known as Lana. She has to do like a Tammy Faye Baker type gimmick. <laughs> Just a chaste, good Christian woman supporting God's favorite warrior. I'm I'm here for that, man. Oh, and, and, and any perceived slight on Lana should set off Miro in like an absolute light. Like it just mm -hmm. brings down. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That she would actually be great. Uh, Miro for me has been a reprieve from all of the elite stuff, which I still continue yes. to not enjoy. So like, like honestly, it's the undercard of AEW for me is what keeps me watching AEW. And like, you know, the Bucks matches aren't bad, but like, dude, they're so hammy. And Omega, I just think Omega, he doesn't do it, man. Like, like no. it's like he comes out and he he's needs callus. He needed callus on that promo. Yeah, th that pro that promo this week stunk. Uh, it was the, the, the mustache was delivering the promo. Like the guy himself <laughs> is. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, is there a Twitter account yet of Kenny Omega's mustache? Because uh, I'm I'm kind of here for that, and I want I want to hear just no, the but like he showed up with a mustache instead of content yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was, but it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect, and it popped me. So <laughs> I, I think you're correct. And still, he's still doing the kind of the hammy, 
hammy, not really not really grounded in the fact that he is a champion type thing to me. He's, it, it's, it's, he's playing a guy a who's playing a champion. Afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like it, do, it doesn't feel like the character really believes that they're the champion that are like, like it, it, it's not, it's not even like being a champion's a game to the Omega character either. It, it's, it's just like, he's not elevating the belts uh, it, it is really the best way I can put it. And like, like I, there's just not a lot of intrigue for him and and i i mean i guess the best thing you can say is like that means that we're ready for a baby face like an orange cassidy or i guess a jungle boy to eventually knock him off um but you know you you just played the jungle boy card are we going are and, and i actually think of between cassidy and jungle boy they should belt jungle boy before they belt cassidy a lot of people slipped into the dms to tell me how conan owned tully on the mic uh, during that segment I'm, and i'm like yeah but that was the point the whole point wasn't to get tully over even though that's what conan's conan's go-to is to get himself over tully was there to set up the reviver to set up ftr beating down conan he wasn't th he wasn't there to get over on conan he was he was there to kind of look like he was getting beat down and oh here's my trick up my sleeve I love that segment for its simplicity. Knew what was happening the entire time because there's oh, no way you can mistake. Stock lines, though, like uh, it's like comparing and, homo and a little homophobic. Yeah, line comparing two different, like, but but old stuff. It's like not new material necessarily. It's some of his greatest hits, and he spent the better part of 25 years um, as his wrestling skills have declined, becoming more and more of a hype man. So he has 25 years of practice as hype man type of guy versus Tully Blanchard, who was never like the hype man promo. He was like, you know, a promo, but like Blanchard was a wrestler. Like, you know, he was like, he's like a real good in-ring talent. Uh, like, despite not being a body guy, he was a great wrestler. Just it's like comparing apples and oranges. And yes, it was, it was very weird to be like, wow, you know, Conan's better on the mic than Blanchard. Y yeah, I mean, I would hope so because that's basically what's kept Conan afloat for a very long time now. Conan's been playing gangsta for 30 years when he aged out of it 20 ago. So, yeah. Hey, I, remember when we were I, talking I about Edge? Conan, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Slipping over into the NXT universe, let's do NXT UK and then NXT and then uh, call it a day. Chris. Your girl Amal attacking your other girl Nina Samuels. Do you have conflicting feelings? I, this is your version of Sophie's Choice, I think. I just uh, well, no, I, I mean, I, I, I'm here for Nina Nina Samuels. Um, I, I mean, here's all I can say about the Amal thing is like they clearly miscast her as a baby face up front, and the like the heel makeover is a marked improvement for her. The French are never baby faces. The French can never. <laughs> baby face we need to learn this even rick martell tried and was <laughs> was a failure yes um no and if martell can't work it's uh, like 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 that sort of like he's the he'd be the best example no um the french hope thing didn't really work i think i mean i think ultimately how this pl uh, plays out well, hold on he was he was french canadian but still <laughs> I think how this plays out is like a Mel and Ginny end up pairing up at the end because now Mel's kind of moving into fashionista territory and that sort of thing. Um, look, Nina Samuels is there for laughs. I, I when Nina came out to face Mako, I thought, you know, 
here's how it was going to play out. Nina was going to have a match against Mako, and it was going to be a quick, you know, Nina gets squashed match. I didn't think, you know, Nina's Nina's not bumping off Mako Satamora. Um, I was watching that, and I go, you got to be kidding me. They're going to Nina. You got, and they hooked me in, you know, and got me. And then a, a Mel comes out. And beats are like, oh, some heel on heel violence. I'm here I for this. I think that's actually great. Um, I think it did a good job elevating Amel, right? Like, this is a person yeah. who's been a non-entity in this presentation as like Chumpo Babyface, and she loses, and now she became a heel. We've seen her backstage, and she's been like yelling at people and being a little bit more at like confrontational and having a little bit more antagonization with people. Um, and, and now without even having to have a match, we've established that Amel is a mid tier heel because she can come out and she'll like, you know, throw a forearm to the back of the head of a low level heel, a scrubs on Magoo. Uh, no, knock on my, on my girl, Nina Samuels here. Uh, but like she, she'll, she'll crush a small heel, um, so that she can come out there. And I, I thought that actually this is effective without having to use squash matches. And if you're looking at it like that, like that, there's some notes to be taken from this. That said, the rest of this women's division on this show was ridiculous. And that that Isla Dawn match where she has the hands on her head and her shoulders are down. That is a pinfall. <laughs> Somebody needs to be counting that. Instead, we're doing seances and exorcisms and she gets beat. And then she smiles because she knows something. She's gotten the quickening. Why do I want this on NXT UK? Why, Chris? Why do they do this to me? I the Eva Valkyrie. Me. I I don't I, I don't have a good. I mean the Eva Valkyrie thing with uh, Mila Schmidt. Oh. It, <laughs> and Ginny, like it's the storyline that no one asked for. That like has. I, I mean I get. I guess Aoife's the baby face, but I felt like Aoife Valkyrie's been she sitting... She was turning heel. She was turning she was heel, turning right? Heel against Mako with the black feather and everything. Yeah. Yes. I so, like, like, I mean, and then Mila Schmidt comes out and has a under five-minute match with Aoife, so, like, I'm not in on Mila Schmidt. And if Mila Schmidt goes on and goes up against Ginny... And beats Ginny, what does it say about Ginny when Ginny is actually exactly. the person I think you should be building up to beat Mako Satamora eventually? I thought Mila was Danny Jordan for a split second. I went, well, really? They signed her? Uh, yeah. Um, I will say this. There was ridiculousness on this show. Like, the, the, the build of the Mark Coffey-Tyler Bate match was dumb. That's, that's not what I was expecting out of Gallus, to be honest with you. Um, that, that match was great. And the a kid, uh, uh, Jordan Devlin match was pretty damn good too, but I'll tell you something. Yeah, a kid and Devlin really delivered. I thought they, they did some really fun spots. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The thing that warmed my heart was a very short 45 second vignette with Joe coffee and rampage Brown coffee comes in. This is after the triple threat with Il where Ilya Dragunov wins. Slaps Rampage on the shoulder. He goes, well, that didn't solve anything. And the two just have a laugh. And it felt like a genuine, 
it felt like that one of those two things where you have two guys who are kind of fighting each other, but a third guy comes in to steal their glory, and they're just kind of laughing at the insanity of it all. And then Coffee just gets up and leaves. And I kind of, the only thing I really wanted out of this was Rampage to start chuckling after he left as well, as if the laugh was still lingering there, as opposed to thinking about it. But I love this segment, Chris. I, it was it was almost how I'd script something real if I wanted to do it. And I just, I love those little kind of moments where you actually get sucked in without the histrionics of, of it. And I just, I thought it was such a nice, like you, I don't know if you, uh, in, in sports, if you ever, or anything else, if you've ever had a rival that you have a begrudging respect for, but you don't really like him all that much, but you'll talk to each other and things that's what this felt like to me yeah i know um yeah you definitely run into that uh for sure um but yeah like i liked that spot i i, I thought it was good i think the rampage joe coffee thing is a really it's a nice long-term story slash feud um every one of their matches has a little bit of layering to it because they keep telling a story and the matches kind of develop out their interactions i, I mean you know it's not like okada and tanahashi or anything like that but i do like the fact that like every two time these two dudes touch it has an increased level of meaning and that has been developing since rampage brown's debut i think that's one of the reasons why i didn't like the the mark coffee tyler Bate thing because to me gallus they're not the they're not the jokester one ups and guys. they're the gentleman thieves they're the guys with they're the bad guys but they're the bad guys with the code of honor type of thing well, okay so then like let's think about that slap thing real quickly here um and, and i am starting to get up against it um but so when we think about that slap um the uh the slap like coffee could have attacked tyler Bate right then and there coffee and wolfgang could have attacked uh tyler Bate and uh mustache mountain um, right there. They didn't. He held him up. He did the slap. He didn't punch him. He slapped him and it was a paintbrush. Um, so okay. like it, it was sort of a, I mean, that is right in the purview of gentleman thief. Uh, it, it is, I am the slight heel going into this match to make it clear who we're rooting for still here, which is Tyler Bate and not Mark coffee, but also we're not heels. I'm not ambushing you. I still want to essentially have a sporting match. It's, it's a playful gentleman thief sort of thing. Okay, so moving to NXT real quick. We'll do five minutes on NXT and get you out of here. Uh, my quick thoughts. I thought I loved the triple threat tag match. I thought that was really well done with the women. Uh, a lot of fun to watch for me. Um, Bronson Reed, I think, is on his way to the main roster. I think that's why they gave Swerve Scott the belt. Zia Lee, that's, that's going to be a deep push, I think. She knocked out Mercedes Martinez, uh, literally in that match with yeah the no she's not, skill- I mean, she's not skilled enough to do those nope, kicks she's no uh, no i i mean i think she i think they now move to a uh, thousand year old dragon lady as the main vehicle for that act and zia lee and boa are now hench people i think so too they become the red shirts of the t- crew and karen q becomes the focus because she works a more uh, she doesn't have an intense style. Let's put it that way. She's always been more of a comedy wrestler, which is going to be interesting to see her be serious. So it's going to be kind of cool. And finally, um, uh, before we get into your notes on it, Gargano and Karrion Cross. Uh, 
we could have so easily turned the way babyface here. We could have so easily made Johnny Gargano, Johnny Wrestling, for a few weeks going into this match at the Great American Bash. But instead, we have Fallen Prey, who are jerks, and we don't like them because they're not they're not stone cold carrying cross. They're not badass carrying cross. We don't get off that vibe from them or from Scarlet. And we get dopey Johnny Wrestling who's just gonna attack you wherever it is. So So there's no vested interest for anybody in this match, kind of. I I don't it's not that I don't like heel versus heel, but I like the two baddest guys on the block versus badass heel versus B-level villain necessarily yeah, if, for a main event If you thought it was going to be heel versus heel, you'd really want to believe that either one of them could win. Like the intrigue yes. here is not, you're, you're intrigued for the fight. You're excited for the fight because you legitimately don't know who's going to win. Um, that would be the draw here. Um, I would have, I would have turned the way baby face. I mean, it's, it's messy or whatever, but like if. And then leave I, Candace I, and Indy heel if you want. Leave them heel and make, jo- make Johnny and Austin baby faces and use that that tension for comedy if you want to then still that do would the actually way be really comedy. funny johnny gets super delusional and thinks that he needs to be johnny wrestling again like and and, and candace mm-hmm. is trying to convince him to be a heel again afterwards and it takes several weeks that would actually be a fun way to off-ramp the johnny gargano push for carrying cross and like their comedy act so like i you know that but yeah and and it, it's just one of those things where it's like i i could see johnny getting the title here because they love the way heel gimmick so much and kind of, and I think carrying cross is on his way up to the main roster as well, but it's just like, well, then nobody's going to cheer for him as, as champion, which is the natural inclination. Once you get back in front of fans because fans love Johnny Gargano. So there's that. Uh, other than and then that, uh, Cameron Grimes. Um, I, I mean, I, I think Cameron Grimes face pushes is actually pretty solid. I think he'll connect really well with audiences. Um, let me see what else I've got here. Oh, I have, I have one I, thing while you're looking. Okay. Okay. Go okay. Well, I, I was going to okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the temerity of this company to show the, the, was it the future prospects highlights tournament and show ACH slash Jordan miles after what happened to him as, as your winner and then never mention him screw off. That that's my th- that's my only other thought on NXT. Go ahead on the okay. Line. So Diamond Mine, real quickly here. Um, I I tell like Roderick Strong in this new look. It, it is it is not a uh, it's not a great look for Roderick Strong. I don't think it's actually helping. I, he feels like a weird fit in this Diamond Mind act. Actually, um, I, I think it would have been better okay. for would have been better for uh the act to have just two young guys like Rust or whatever. Um, and then what else do I have here? Uh, yeah, I liked the opening. I mean, I thought the six-way was like, or the three-way was a little, you know, it had WWE tropes in it, but it was good. Yes. Um, and then uh, Hit Row winning. Um, you know, I thought that they rushed into Scott winning the title. Um, so, like, I mean, they've done a nice job presenting him or whatever, but, like, they sort of rushed into it. And the other problem is the top dollar has been getting a lot of burn, almost too much burn compared to Scott like like it's almost like the presentation has been a little bit more focused on dollar than it has been on swerve same with the woman who I don't think is getting back in the ring she was a trainee but I think they're gonna just keep her as a valet I think she gets way too much burn as well at times and I think the guy that's being slighted here is Ashante the Adonis who is quite a wrestler in his own right but they're gonna, yeah, they're yeah, gonna yeah. go with top dollar because big guys 
Yeah, yeah, right. No, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think a shiny Diodias is getting slighted, but I, I also I mean, Swerve's a guy I could see them getting disinterested in, ultimately thinking the act is B um, and top dollar. We should make top dollar the head guy of Hit Row. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they've never Even done anything I, like that before, the Hurt Business. No, no. Uh, Braun Strowman. Uh, <laughs> All right, I I have to go. Uh, okay, cool. Let, let me let, let's get our plugs. Out. I'll get the plugs out of the way. Uh, shake, shake them ropes. You can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow Chris at DWATG. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. Chris also has a Patreon for his show. Don't worry about the government. He'll tell you about it now. Patreon.com slash DWATG. Check out the latest episode, which I put out. Don't worry. TV. It's on iTunes and it is on Stitcher and Spotify. Chris can leave now as I say thank you to Manscaped, 20% off plus code ROPES at checkout. Thank you very much for listening to Shake Them Ropes. Uh, We'll see you next week.